Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Altwork podcast, where we explore radically new thinking about how we may design our lives, our leaders, and our enterprises in this new dynamic era. I am Saki Rasool, and today I have a special guest with me. Peter Yabokovsky is a friend, a doctor, an engineer, and presently a private advisor to high net worth people and their families. In his work with uh, wealthy families, Peter often deals with messy situations where resentment has replaced trust and the future looks grim. As a master of shifting these situations for decades, he's now finally coming out with his book, Listening for Candor, Building Trust in Relationships That Matter. In this masterpiece, uh, Peter defines candor as speaking what matters to you and listening for candor as tuning into what matters to others. And he outlines a four-step transformational roadmap to go from bad, stressful relationships to openness and intimacy. Honestly, listening to Peter Yavakovsky has helped me shift dynamics in a difficult personal relationship with a family member. So I decided to invite Peter to our podcast and he graciously accepted. So Peter, welcome to the Altwork podcast. It really is an honor and pleasure to have you with us today. Let me ask you first to tell us your story, how you got to where you are today, and what led to the insights you share in this book? I mean, what's the backstory, please? Okay, a couple, well, first off, we should say that most of the work that I do with high net worth families for rebuilding trust is uh, as a senior coach with the Williams Group, who's been doing that for a long, long time. So then much of my story is, A, how did I come to be connected to the Williams Group and start working with these families? And then B, what have I discovered over the, literally, I look back, I'm a little bit shocked, decades that I've been doing this. Uh, and then that's, and then what brought me to write a book? So uh, I started out, I mean, where do you start? You know, I was born in Texas, um, but where do you start? I think the place that's, to That's a good place to start. Texas is yeah. a good place to start. <laughs> and uh, and I'm the, the son of uh, an immigrant uh, to the United States. Uh, uh, my father was born and raised in China. I don't look Chinese. I'm not. Uh, uh, he's Russian, born in China. Uh, but at that moment, he was in the military. I was born in Texas. At some point, life goes on. Uh, I returned from a year abroad studying in Europe. And I came back to Stanford. And I realized, oh, my. I need to declare a major of study and a major area of study and I should I should do something where I can get a job. So I decided to be an engineer. Uh, now becoming a mechanical engineer at Stanford is not trivial. Uh, but I dove into it and then somewhere along the line, I remember in the springs somehow, uh, I came to the conclusion, that really, I like working with people. 
And I wasn't sure I wanted to be an engineer, even though I'm good at it. And in that moment of, hmm, what should I do? Uh, my father suggested, well, you could be a doctor. I said, absolutely not. And of course, shortly after that, I decided to do pre-med in addition to engineering. And, uh, and then I went to the University of California, uh, uh, Davis Medical School. Then I did my residency. Uh, and by an odd series of events, ended up uh, in an internal medicine residency. Now, you got to know internal medicine is a, give me a break. Why did I end up there? But I did. I'm board certified in internal medicine. I practice medicine. And what I really enjoyed was the conversations with people. Hmm. Uh, now, it's an incredibly complex space for having conversations. Uh, but the conversations is what I really enjoyed. And then I ran into Fernando Flores. And I began to see conversation, communication, commitment, trust in an entirely different way. And it really enlivened and enlightened like illuminated my conversations with patients, which was really fun. And then I decided to come work with Fernando and I started to extend this conversations, commitment, trust, uh, interest of mine into business process design, designing mm -hmm. on the basis of commitments made as opposed to on the basis of, you know, transforming objects hmm. uh, and and then ended up coaching executive teams and you know doing that leadership coaching stuff and all that business and somewhere along the line roy williams who's this other weird guy hmm. like me uh he was looking for someone to help him with what he considered the big breakdown in high net worth families he had the Williams group. And so at first I just came to the Williams group to help Roy work with families and teach them about trust and communication from this new point of view, because he had found that psychologists, psychotherapy, negotiators, mediators didn't solve the fundamental relationship issues that were tearing apart families uh, that were burdened with an incredible power differential between generations. Mm -hmm. You know, parents are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. It is a huge power differential with respect to the kids, mm. the next generation. And it distorts the relationship space. It distorts communication, how it's spoken, what it's meant, how it's, all that. So uh, I started out first just kind of helping Roy do what he was doing and then i began to take more and more ownership of these are real people who really i i need to work with to to bring the skills and there's two aspects to bringing the skill one is bring the awareness and understanding the cognitive readjustment of what is communication what is trust trust mm -hmm. is not feeling you have that yeah i trust or no i don't 
Trust is a much bigger thing than that. Uh, what is communication? It's not just transferring information. It's something else. And when you, first you bring the cognitive sense of it, and then you got to practice it, do it. Hmm. It turns out I couldn't do it with made up situations. I had to use their real life situations. Mm -hmm. So coach through resolving trust issues as a way of actually building the skill to do that on their own until they could do it confidently because life will go on. They will still have issues that come up, emotionally charged stuff. Minimally, somebody's going to die. <laughs> and that goes right. Uh, it always happens. It always uh, happens. Some somebody dies. Somebody's gonna die. Uh, and it doesn't matter who. It throws a big monkey wrench in the emotional space of the family. And they still need to handle all da da da, da etc. But there's a lot of other things that happen or that have happened that need to be sorted out. And uh and what we found is that, oh, I could I had to invent certain ways of talking about things uh, so that we could rapidly progress from a kind of a cordial hypocrisy about everything's fine in our family to, yeah, we've got some stuff to deal with, uh, to actually getting it resolved so mm -hmm. they really do feel connected and can go forward. Mm -hmm. That's the, And I've been doing it now for over 25 years mm -hmm. and uh uh it's wow you 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 said uh, so much there um i want to ask you about cordial hypocrisy you brought it up because that sounds like um something that we are um that we're constantly first being ourselves and then constantly confronting from others and i wonder what leads us to this uh, this mood of cordial hypocrisy um, and what uh, what uh, keep us from being vulnerable with each other? What have you learned in your work with uh, families and high net worth people? And do you find the dynamics of working with the high net worth families and the people different from, uh, say, that you might work with uh, an entrepreneur who is aspiring, who is at the beginning or entrepreneurial team? Uh, what is it about working with uh, these families that is so distinct and unique? And would you please say more about this cordial hypocrisy and what keeps people in that kind of a spot? Yeah, uh, let's back up just a little bit. Mm. Uh, I think most people recognize that uh, they run into situations frequently where you have a choice between uh, confronting a strongly voiced opinion or a strongly held opinion uh, or else giving in to go along. Mm -hmm. It's what I call the choice between uh, a conversation in a mood of certainty or in a mood of pretense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in pretense, you can be sweet about it. Oh yeah, sure. No problem. Uh, and, and usually that choice is because either you don't care enough or the risk is too high to deal with it more overtly. The problem is that most people feel that the alternative 
is to voice my opinion and argue to be right and win the argument. So now you've got a choice between giving in just to go along, what mm. we call cordial hypocrisy. Mm. Oh, yeah, so sweet. Or fighting to be right. Mm. Now, the problem with fighting to be right mm -hmm. well, is that, well, first of all, in cordial hypocrisy, you can sometimes get good outcomes if it's not a big deal or if it's already headed in a good direction. You have this thought, well, no point arguing about it. You know, whatever that person wants is good enough. It'll work, mm -hmm. right? And, well, I don't need to. It doesn't, you, you make excuses. On the other side of the equation it, uh, of the choice point for most of us, most of the time is I got to fight to be right. Now, even if I skillfully argue, whether I do it with an explosive sort of overpowering thing or whether I do it elegantly and just show you how you made your mistake and how come you're really wrong, don't worry about it. If this is the, you know, no matter how I do it, mm -hmm. if I win, I don't know for sure whether the other person just finally gave up and said, okay, never mind. I'm not going to die on that hill. I'll let him have it this time. Or whether you really did convince the person and the person actually agrees with you. Hmm. You can get a formal agreement and a withheld disagreement. Hmm. Now, what is that? And that withheld disagreement carries with it the flavor of resentment, mm -hmm. which is detrimental to real good relationships. Because it might look like you're in an agreement and everything is fine, but you're seething internally and you might end up doing acts, little acts of betrayal in the background. Have you seen a lot of that well, happening? That Certainly that can happen. We just look at our own lives. Or what you get is this sense of operationally, I will perform, but I don't really like it. I don't like the, I don't like the relationship space. Remember, in, in your world, the world of entrepreneurs, you're dealing with two phenomena simultaneously. First of all, you're dealing with uh, operationally getting stuff to happen, hmm. promises being fulfilled, and invisibly, but very real, at the same time, we're dealing with relationship. The sense of now, in, in an operational space like business, the, uh, the essential sense is that I'm respected. Now, you don't say with all due respect because you know that what follows after all due respect is an insult, but you need to, you don't say respect, but you show respect. Hmm. Now, if you get argued on top of and dominated, you don't feel respected. So that breaks that respect aspect. In a more personal relationship, hmm. uh, while you do need uh, an element of respect, even more important is that you feel that they care. They care about you. And they care about what you care about because you care about it. Uh, hmm. And and that is a, a different flavor altogether. Uh, and again, you often don't say, I care. You need to show that you care because you invite suspicion the moment that you say, but I really care. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
You, uh, thank you. That actually, um, and is there, you know, are the stakes um, higher in high net worth families? Is that what you have found out? And what do those high stakes do? Because I imagine that there's a lot of money at stake um, in the performance of relationships or the lack of performance of relationships. And what does that do to people? Does it, does it bring them to the table? Uh, or does it keep them away from the table or people try to take distance from each other? What happens there? Would you please? And I, I'd love to hear um, a story or two that might jump to your mind where you may have dealt with a situation like that, where you went in and you uh, had a big mess going on. You're welcome to uh, change the names to protect the innocent. Um, I'm not so sure about how innocent, but change the names to uh, to protect the identities, and I'd uh, love to hear a little bit more about that. So what we've noticed is that um, I, I just distinguished two aspects of relationship, the personal aspect and the more professional operational aspect. Uh, and they overlap, and they can be held both. Like say if you have family members who are on an executive team of a large company, they got both, right? You got to mm -hmm. perform and you got to care at the same time. And everybody's, and it's, it can be a complex mess. Mm -hmm. But you asked about what's the effect of large amounts of wealth in mm -hmm. play. So where, uh, first of all, it doesn't actually change the dynamic. It it intensifies the dynamic. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, if uh, you disagree with your parents about uh, what, where you want to go to college, or what you want to study, or whether you want to take a year off and go surfing, uh, and 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 you disagree, you you know the parents say, "No, no, you should do this, or you need to be like that." Uh, and there's you know, 10 or $20 million at stake, you might slow down and be careful how you voice your disagreement. If there's several hundred million dollars at stake, you might slow down even more, et cetera. So um, many of the families we work with are worth even more than that. Hmm. So there's a compression, a pressure, uh, and people learn how to navigate inside that. And, uh, and by the way, in-laws figure it out real quick what you don't talk about. Oh, hmm. in this family, we'll talk about that. Uh, and it could be politics. It could be simply which sports team you support, all, all that kind of stuff. And and so then that's the, and, and they don't want to bring up the topic. Mm -hmm. So then these, conversations live these issues live uh kind of part of the way it is in the background mm -hmm. and it goes on like that for a long long time mm. and then usually the patriarch of matriarch uh begins to see that while they're very effective and successful in life in terms of the material world in terms of financial success in terms of building the company and da, 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 da. still the quality of life 
or and the sense of connection in the family is not what they want. They want something more. And usually what this happens as they begin to realize that they're not going to live forever. Uh, they hear the waterfall. They go, oh, I don't know when it's but I don't have forever. Now, you can't order people to be more open. You can't. You, know, <laughs> you can, but it won't work. <laughs> I order you to be more open, and that doesn't work. Huh? That doesn't uh, work. Human beings. Exactly. Human yeah. beings. We live in the, and, in the history of our, the background, <laughs> the history is very important. The mood is soured for years, and you can't just like, hey, uh, here's some money. Yeah. Uh, could you yeah. be open now? It won't work. Hmm. Yeah, and and, and so the, uh, you get the the uh, two things are at play there. One is that the uh, parents are usually, or quite often, let's say, uh, very blind to how their relative power that they're so accustomed to moving with so fluently at work uh is uh not such a great deal at home uh and and yet i mean i've talked to uh in, in the uh in the corporate space i've talked to to leaders who tell me oh yeah i have an open door policy my people know exactly anybody can come to me with anything at any time i talk to their people and they go yeah right i know exactly what not to talk about. And I have to be very careful when I talk about what I do talk about. And, and, but so it's possible to become numb to the effect when you've had relative power for a long time, uh, mm -hmm. you might not see how, how deeply it affects things. Now, then they, even if they do become aware of, hey, I don't have the relationship I want, you can't order the relationship. So then they may try psychotherapy, they may try mediation because they wanted to get an agreement signed or a negotiation because they want to get some document. But in the end, they don't get the relationship they want. The relationship they want requires a relationship skill and relationship is ultimately trust. And trust is built in communication and living together how you fulfill commitments trust responsibility all those issues intersect and that's the game we have to shine a new light on mm. uh, simply seeing that communication is not transmitting information sometimes is enough of a what really to have them be open to a new understanding but you got to produce a new understanding mm -hmm. this situation that you're describing with uh, wealthy families in my work with uh, startup teams it, it sounds very similar it sounds like the dynamics are exactly the same where there's a lot of resentment right. and and if there's a there's a power differential um, then people that have less of it they are they're more um, they're more careful and sure. um, in in that carefulness or in that uh, hesitation or fear or um, uh, often uh, mistakes are being uh, being hidden, uh, mistakes are not uh, brought out like breakdowns to be dealt with. So opportunity for innovation is hidden. And if somebody actually has some 
remarkable idea. They want to go off and do something else. So there's like a fundamental uh, trust in so many teams, in so many families that is just fundamentally missing. And they're being together because they're being together. Either they have to or uh, they respect an elder or they have some financial interest in each other but they're not like really being together. So um, in your book, you talk about this uh, four-step process, Peter, where, and it's just really remarkable. I'm, I was just blown away by what you have done in the way of expose to go from, um, uh, what do you call, pretense, that we're pretending that you'd identify these four levels of uh, relationships, this four-step process. You go from pretense uh, to all, all the way to intimacy. And it sounds like many of our listeners can benefit from learning a little bit about this and it might provoke the curiosity to get the book. And I recommend all of you to go get the book. This is a rare gem. I'm going to hold it closer to the to the camera so you can see it clearly. Totally a rare gem. Uh, never before had, I had I have read anything like this before. Um, and so this four-step process that you have in this book, would you please say a little bit more about what are those steps and what happens and how do we begin to deal with the mistrust, with uh, with not listening to each other, with resentment that is either open resentment or silent resentment that's going on. How do we begin to turn this around? I mean, I look around and this is everywhere. So uh, how do we begin to turn this around? And would you please uh, reflect a little bit about that? Well, first, I don't think it's a process. So mm. what I'm talking about is um, what I noticed early, early, early was that sometimes people were more or less open, like receptive, and open, like revealing. So openness has both directions. Am I willing to speak openly, like reveal? Am I willing to listen openly, like really listen, like really be receptive? And I noticed there are different levels of that. So the the what I call the lowest level is what I call pretense. It doesn't matter what you call it, but it's a, a place where I'm taking care uh, not to put anything at risk that counts for me, to minimize my involvement or risk. Mm -hmm. So either it looks too dangerous or it doesn't look worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong all the time. Because sometimes in some situations, you need to be prudent. So pretense can be prudent. But in the space of relationship, where that's what you're trying to build, pretense is a problem. Yes. Now, next level up is where you're... So in pretense, you're willing to reveal what? Just enough to appear to be uh, as though you're playing along. Enough to pretend. Now... The next level up is where you're willing to reveal your point of view and argue for it. Right. Where the name of the game is, I need to win and be right. <laughs> and you may have lots of good reasons why that's necessary. Well, you know, we don't have time. Just do it the way I want right now. No, 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 no. I know better. I've done this before. Whatever. But it's a, a kind of a domination move, <laughs> a control. And some people are so used to having the authority, they just fall into that all the time and don't feel it. Now, 
the other people feel it. If you don't have your foot nailed to the floor about being right, you can start to uh, be open about, well, this is how I see it. And this is why I see it that way. How do you see it? Mm -hmm. What are we trying to accomplish? How can we figure out a way to go forward together? Uh, what have we not thought of? That's what I call discovery, where I'm really open to finding out something new. And I'm willing to contribute to that openness by what I see. Now, in this particular space, which I call discovery, it's just a name, uh, there's also a chance for something incredibly, I mean, just amazing to happen, which is you can find something that neither of you knew about before. Because mm -hmm. as I begin to listen to how things make sense to you, and you begin to listen to how things make sense to me, and I begin to show you why I think it makes sense that way, and you, or vice versa, and we go back and forth, we can build a shared sense of things. Mm -hmm. And now, this is what I think is most important of all, is how can we make sense together? Why? Mm -hmm. Because, as you notice, everything you do makes sense at the moment that you do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Even if the next moment you go, ooh, that was a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> right. But, but at the moment of doing, of engaging with uh, uh, your circumstances, you do what makes sense. Mm -hmm. You may argue because it only makes sense to argue. You yes. may uh, try and get away because it only makes sense to get away. You may advocate for this because it makes, but it makes sense. Now, if you can get a shared sense, then you're both up to the same thing and it's you can easily find a way forward. Mm -hmm. Now. Now, before you go to the next stage, this is I it, it, it you you lay out in your book. Um, uh, you don't call it stage, you call it levels. So this is the third mm -hmm. level. Uh, you go from pretense, which, which is the first level where you're just pretending you're looking good, you're hiding everything. Then you go to the next level where you're not uh, pretending, you're being open, but you're you're assertive and you're certain, and you call it certainty. And uh, and then from there you go into discovery where you talk a lot about what matters, right? So what matters is the main thing. What matters to you? What matters to the others? And your capacity. It's like a. It's like a, you're you're designing a kind of. A, this discovery itself, the maybe you don't, uh, maybe it's a process, maybe it's not, but the way I see it, it's like a process of discovering what matters to others. And you talk wow. a lot about it in, in your book. And would you, would you please expand on that a little bit before you, before you move off of this level yeah, to I, the next level? Definitely. Yeah. So uh, what we could be talking about right here, another mm -hmm. way to frame it is, how do we make sense of things? Now, uh, at the the way I've come to see it, you know, I mean, I could be wrong, who knows, but it seems to work, is to first get aligned on what matters. Uh, and if you notice, almost never is it one thing that matters. Well, it matters about this, but, you know, we got to be careful of, uh, and not go too far that way. And that could be a risk if we did this. And if we manage to do that, it could turn out this way. So there's what matters. And 
as soon as you get that kind of a line, you're looking for what else is relevant. Well, it's really relevant that uh, this is about to happen. And if we get this done on time, we'll get that kind of benefit. Da, 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 da. So you're looking for what matters, then what else is relevant, and essentially what else matters, or mm -hmm. matters in what way. And why do you say that's relevant? So there's always the why behind it, which is how my sensibilities, my perspective enables me to see and anticipate something maybe a little different or maybe the same as you and vice versa. So we build a rich sense of what matters, what's important, what, what else is relevant. And then you start to extend to, and what do we see this possible, desirable, risky, like that. So you're building more, now you're building into the future, a sense of anticipation. And as you do that, at some moment, you feel this resonance that, oh, mm -hmm. we have the same sense of things. And then you can pretty naturally make a tentative proposal. Well, hey, we could do this. What do you think? And then the resp it's not like we should do this, but we could do this. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, if we put a little bit more of that on it and perhaps some of this, and if we call in so-and-so, they could help us with that. Yeah, okay, good. And then you can reach a clear conclusion and resolution for action. Yeah, let's do that. Good, you'll handle that. I'll do that. We'll get it done by then. I'll get back to you by such and such. You see how, because from all the, but if you build it that direction, you avoid the danger of starting with your opinion. If you start, mm -hmm. we should do this. Now you either got to agree, and or and maybe you don't agree, but you'll pretend to agree. That's now we're down in pretense again. Mm -hmm. Or you're going to argue. Wait a minute, that's not right. It should be this. If you're very skillful, you might be able to pull that off, or you might get entangled in argument for arguments, right. as opposed to lose track of why we're here. That's I mean, you might win in the moment, but then later on you lose the war, right? You win the battle. You were really sharp with your argument and it was all logical and it all made sense, but you don't have, um, you know, you don't have uh, uh, the trust. You don't have that, that what's going on between the two of you and the rigidity often gets even worse after this kind of winning. So exactly. You're 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 laying out this um you're you're laying out this um uh this discovery process. It sounds to me because at the first look, it's very easy to mistake discovery as kind of like an informational process that I'm just gonna find out the information about what's going on and what's important and what the priorities are and what my priorities are. But the way that you are you are articulating it, it's almost like a process of um, uh, like a neural connection or something. Like begin to begin to be tuned into the same kind of game, where where your your physiology begin to be at ease with each other and begin to be open to each other. So there's a very real change going on at a biological level as you're going through this discovery process. Did you? Would, do you have comments and um, further notes yeah, about I, this? Uh, I think that what we're, if we're sensitive, what we're 
uh, as we're listening, as we're engaging, as we're in conversation, what we're feeling for is something beyond listening, which is this sense of what I call resonance. Now, I'm stealing that term from Hartmut Rosa, who writes about that, but uh, this feeling of resonance. I never can be 100% absolutely sure that I understand what you mean, but I can get a sense that I'm willing to go forward now. That's trust. I'm willing to go forward. Why? I know the future's uncertain. I know I may have got something not quite right. Or even if I got it quite right, the future may turn out different than we expect. And we may have to reconsider and reconvene and reorganize ourselves. But I'm willing to go forward. I think that's the sense of what I call resonance. Hmm. And, and now resonance uh, it is around the what I've been calling the topic or whatever. But say, for instance, we're deciding, uh, like we were deciding whether, when to have this, this podcast. Uh, as we were in conversation, it, we easily reached this sense of da-da-da-da-da, and resolution happened quite quickly. Uh, but now, like say, in a, in a more personal, uh, like one of these family issues, uh, like uh, where, uh, you know, there's a complaint about uh, you know, the father has is a stickler for logistics. Hmm. And so every time the family wants to go for he like go someplace, he's like he absolute control over logistics. Oh, but wait a second. One of the uh one of his children says, you know, if I want to do the slightest thing different, you get so upset with me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and now you can feel like, uh-oh, there's a place where things aren't seen the same way. That's why I like to phrase it, how do you see it? Well, the way I see it is you're overwhelming and domineering and controlling, and I don't have any freedom, uh, and I have to do exactly what you say. How do you see it? Well, the way I see it is I'm doing the best to take care here. I really love my kids, and and I really sort of feel that I show that by arranging such impeccable logistics mm -hmm. now till they can kind of start to come together on oh i see how you see it and you see how i see it how can we find a way forward mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or well, there are people just worried like things are going to fall apart or something like this if they don't control it really well or who knows mm -hmm. who knows so right. And, you know, one may have grown up with this uh, uh, identity of being such a fantastic logistical organizer, and the other may, uh, you know, have all this complication with how his wife and his kids uh, need a certain kind of attention, and and he has to kind of take care on that side as well as going on this other side of <laughs> following his father's, because uh, we're going to meet here. And so everybody should do this. Uh, you need to be on the train like that. And everybody, we're, and we're going to actually have a good time being on the train as we go to our vacation place because the train is, a, well, I, the train thing doesn't work for my, me and my kids. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll drive and I'll meet you there or I'll fly. You, you see how that whole thing? Yes. Oh, now I feel offended because you're not doing what I said and I tried to take care of you and you just don't even listen and 
mm-hmm. and you can see how the thing can spiral in many directions if you start with what's my purpose in even bringing this up mm-hmm. my purpose is being right about things well, that's not a great conversation that anybody wants to play if my purpose is uh really forwarding our the intimacy of our relationship so we actually don't have this snarl showing up oh how can we if our purpose is to and our and the outcome we're going for is a clear understanding of how we're going to navigate this in the future oh my gosh now you're set up so instead of arguing to be right you're looking for a way forward instead of all the things that have happened in the past, you're willing to say how you see it, but you're not going to argue to be right about it. You're actually wondering how do they see it from their side? Mm -hmm. And then you find out that actually after a while, you're making sense together. You go, oh, well, it makes sense now for the super logistics guy to include this dimension of flexibility for this for that and to actually include that as part of his logistical planning and the other guy to go oh i've got room when a a plan comes down to be able to say hey how about if we modify it in this other way and you won't feel offended that i'm ruining your plan it's so easy to come to Mm -hmm. start as opposed to start with being right if you start with what are we working for? What really matters? What are mm-hmm. we like? Are there some questions um, that? Uh, no, no. This is fantastic. You're you're um, you're going right to the heart of the matter here. To go from uh, to go from being uh, being certain, uh, being pretending, being certain and argumentative, pretending and hiding, and cordially mm-hmm. hypo- hypocrite uh, hypocrite, and going to um uh, certainty and argumentation and being logically right and throwing up reasons and it's interesting in that stage both sides have their reasons the oh, both yeah. sides are trying their best to be rational and the both sides have their reasons and the both sides are beginning to argue and getting offended that he doesn't get my reason and she doesn't get my reason and so on and now you're going into this discovery that you're that you're saying it's uh, to develop resonance to discover what matters. I wonder. Um, I, I want us to stay at this discovery stage for just like a moment longer because that sounds like such an important thing to do, and and it's just I, I'm moved by this this uh, this discovery. As you know, I was talking to you and reading your book, and I began to talk to one of my uh, relatives, and I won't say uh, in this podcast who, um, and I realized that all this time I was thinking that that I was, of course, right, because I'm older, and, and I know more, and I have more experience, but what I realized that in listening to myself, I was being a jerk, and I wasn't listening to what their logic system was, what their reasons were. I was dismissing their uh, their reasons. And as I dismissed their reasons, every time, every conversation, um, it either was like, um, like we're, nothing important is going to be said and we're going to be, you know, just be apart, but sort of like socially together, or we're going to be 
um, arguing uh, like uh, two angry Socrates uh, with each other uh, and, uh, you know, and, and getting offended. And then I began to, to learn and discover uh, what was going on and what was important, not what was important to me, but what was important there. And what I began to, to see that, that there was just as valid, just as rational uh, system of thinking that existed over there that I was totally blind to, or I did not want to listen to. So um, what questions, if you to give us like a couple of nuggets, like what questions we could um, ask during the discovery to, to change from the stuck states of uh, resentfulness and stuckness and not listening to each other. How, how do we, what questions we might ask the other person that will begin to get us be in, as you say, resonance, begin to be tuned into, into what's going on? Well, first, uh, I have to say that, remember, I kind of discovered and developed this, and then I have to eat my own cooking. Mm -hmm. uh, and and so then I begin to see, oh, shit, I'm really good at arguing. And so... <laughs> that's really good. That's, that's such a profound moment, you know. And it's, like, if you can laugh about it, that means that, okay, it's working. Something yeah. is beginning to change. And, and the problem with being really good at arguing is that... Uh, like my siblings recognize that I'm really good at arguing. And so they give up real quick. <laughs> Never mind. I don't want to talk about it. And I go, Oh, shit. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, but it, it lands on me too. You know, so it's, you know, it's that old saying, if I knew then what I know now, <laughs> yes. life would be yes. very different. Actually, I had that feeling like several times that, uh, damn you, why didn't you write this 20 years ago <laughs> when I began to uh, to do serious things with my life and my siblings, but um, better better, better late than, than never. So please, what questions so you, might, your question. uh, you might ask? Your questions. Uh, your question about questions. Uh, one of the first ones I, I came up with was, this is how I see it. How do you see it? But now remember, it's not the words. Well, yeah, you need the words, but it's the tone mm -hmm. of voice. It's the rhythm. It's how rapidly you speak. Uh, it's the vocabulary you use. It's the attunement with the other. Because mm -hmm. the most important time to be attuned to the other is while you're speaking. You need to listen while you speak. You need to be aware or at least paying attention to how is this landing? How are they taking so that you can adjust the speed, the loudness, the tone, the vocabulary, everything, uh, without thinking about it, you'll do it quite naturally if you're really attending to the other person and how they're how they are responding, reacting, how it's working for them or not. And then you can sometimes ask questions in the middle of talking, but this is how I see it. How do you see it? Oh, help me understand how that works. Or I don't quite get it. Can you clarify that? So I, I, I talk about three different uh, extensions of a conversation to produce attunement or resonance. One is 
simply confirming. I, I, I think you were talking about this. Am I right? Uh, uh, did I get it? Or clarification, which is, I, I'm not sure whether you mean this or whether you mean that, uh, because you're not going for what they said. You're going for what they meant. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's not the words. I always say, this is probably a heretical thing. I said, words don't mean anything. People mean something. It's mm -hmm. the person who means something. And they may use a different word, or they may use a word that you think means something, but by that they give up on chasing the words, chase the meaning. And mm -hmm. do that with you know, a sense of respect, a sense of care, uh, and that will be expressed or communicated in everything that you don't say or the way that you do say what you say. So uh, this is how I see it. How do you see it? Uh, confirm, clarify. And then after that, you can go to explore. Confirm, clarify, explore. Explore is where you go, huh, have you considered thinking of it this way or that way? But it's like we're full freedom to say, no, that doesn't work on the other side, you know, so that, so that it's a real generous building together because what can happen and what you're trying to cultivate the space for is the emergence of something new that you haven't and they haven't considered before. Mm -hmm. So emergence is the, uh, the miracle that can happen. You can't control it. You can't produce it on purpose, but you can allow it and you can recognize it and be grateful when it does happen. And you go, oh, uh, and so there's this one example I talk about in the book. It's a bit of an apocryphal example, but it's, it really is happens where, uh, you know, we always go to your parents' house for Thanksgiving. How come we never go to my family for Thanksgiving? Right. And now instead of arguing about whose family we should go to, we look at what's important is this sense of our kids having a kind of time of relation with our parents. So rather than trade off, they came up with a new new idea completely. Let's talk to our kids about what they think. Right. right. For a change. <laughs> Let's ask the kids. And then the kids come up with a completely new idea. Right. Let's invite them all here, including right. their kids, and we'll have them all at our house. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that brings up who's going to cook for all that, who's going to prepare all that, how do you get the invitations, how do you get the travel, how do you do all this thing? But it brings a whole nest uh, or a whole raft of different kind of issues, but it opens a whole new space that had never been considered in the alternative of my family versus your family. And, and that sense of an emergent new possibility uh, is extraordinarily enlivening. People, I mean, if, if those who participate in the emergence just feel this enormous sense of inventing life, of moving into the future together, it is unbelievably like, uh, a sense of connection, relationship, whatever mm. you want to call it. And way down at the end, trust. Because mm. you say, 
I feel respected. I feel cared for. I feel like I'm part of the game. And da 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 da. So all the things that should be communicated but can never be said happen in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. That's a great example of of what I mean by emergence, uh, which I think is the great gift of uh, discovery, like a possibility. Can't make it happen every moment because you can't control the emergence, but you can nurture the possibility. Mm. Wow. Right. So this this leads to the kind of the uh, the last level that that uh, that you're talking about now. It's the what you call intimacy. That intimacy begins to be present. And uh, would you say a little bit about that? What is that level, and what happens there, and and how do we and how do we stay there, and what's going on there, and what do you what do you mean by uh, intimacy, and what does that look like? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I said about in pretense, you're willing to reveal uh, just enough to get by, and to, and you're oriented around protecting yourself. In certainty, you're willing to reveal your opinion uh, and the strong points of your argument uh, and why they're making mistakes. In discovery, you're you're willing to explore and listen and invent, and, and you're mostly oriented around what. How are we going to go forward? How can we find a good path forward? Now, in the process of saying, "Hey, this is how I see things." This is what it looks like to me. This is kind of what I think we ought to be paying attention to. You implicitly reveal what's important to you personally, what you care about, like like a deeper thing, implicitly revealed. Now, sometimes you get a bit of resonance with that, mm-hmm. and then you kind of, in a certain sense, fall in love. You You kind of get into that sense of, I care about, who you are about the kind of being that you are and i care about what's important to you because you care about it mm. and it now uh that is such a it's a hard thing to kind of do it's something that i've seen more often that happens mm. uh, i was with one family uh, when we were working, it was uh, working with the Williams Group. We were working with a family, uh, a large family, uh, where the the second generation uh, all had kids, and they all had very strong opinions about how you raise kids. Mm-hmm. Mostly negative opinions about how the others raise kids. <laughs> right. Because they know better, right? Exactly. You're, you're doing it wrong. Uh, <laughs> but it wasn't spoken. It was this deep kind of how you raise kids is super important. Uh, and there's the right way and there's the wrong way. And that's the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And, and there was this moment, I remember, where the patriarch uh, made this comment Uh, This seemed like an innocent comment at the time. He said, you know, maybe we should be less judgmental. Now, this is a family that's intensely judgmental about this particular topic. Uh, 
maybe we should be less judgmental. And and that innocent comment mm. kind of remember because it comes with the, also the relative power of the patriarch. That's right. Uh, and so it, it 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 there was just enough openness to consider that idea that it went kind of ricocheting around the room and and people realized and i'm using that word carefully it became real for them that what they all cared about was having kids who were good people wow right they didn't say it it just mm -hmm. happened and they all burst into tears simultaneously wow it was yeah. the weirdest thing ever you go wow what was that because you can't make that happen. You see what I mean? Yes. And yet they felt this incredible sense of connection and and we are in life together. Mm. That that was like that's an example of what I call intimacy. We care about it, you care, we all care, we care. Uh and and it wasn't said again. Mm -hmm. It it happened. So I don't I don't uh press people toward intimacy. Hmm. like an objective I see. I let it, now here's the interesting thing uh if you stay i'm going to back up a little bit if yes. you stay in certainty long enough sooner or later you risk somebody going into pretense in order just to stop this horrible mess or taking a distance or moving away or not exactly. talking with each other right and and that can happen in the deep relationship space i mean i've seen uh you know kids move to Australia uh, mm. and get out of communication with their parents uh, or go to India and end up in an ashram and never speak to them. I mean, it can get ugly, but it works uh, in the other direction too, by the way, there are kids who just moved to United States, you know, uh, <laughs> works. I know works in the other, it doesn't only work in this one direction. It just, it flows both ways. So <laughs> It's no, no, personal experience. I, I know. Mm -hmm. I realize that. And interestingly, in discover, but if you stay in, like I said, in in certainty long enough, you risk falling into this pretense thing. If mm -hmm. you stay in discovery, it gets more and more stable. Mm -hmm. And then, like I said, you implicitly reveal what matters to you in the opinions and assessments that you voice and how come I think that's relevant and all that whole bit. Uh, and then you can, like I said, fall into uh, intimacy and it can just kind of happen. Um, and, and that's the, but I think the big deal is go for discovery, uh, uh, cultivate uh, a receptivity uh, and, 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 be alert for the emergence of something new that could be really good. <laughs> wow. We are right on time that we said that we would be, but I have uh, several questions. I have many questions here that I want to ask you. Okay, I'm, uh, I'm going to have one last question uh, for you. This is a little bit something that I've been wondering for a long time and I have the pleasure of your presence here and your company. So I might as well uh, take this opportunity. Um, I've been wondering where does vulnerability come from or where does the 
capacity for vulnerability comes from. I'm curious, how do you cultivate this capacity for vulnerability? Just briefly, if you have any reactions to that, I'd, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, I, I, I don't tend to go down that path of hmm. be vulnerable. Hmm. I go down the path of be open. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, and openness takes strength. It mm. takes emotional strength. Uh, it takes a certain kind of cognitive clarity about uh, mm. the potential risk, whether it's prudent to be open, like all that. But I want to focus on openness. Mm. Uh, and the openness is not just open-mindedness, like mm. am I willing to consider, uh, maybe change my opinion and all that, but there's an openness uh, that is more somatic, this sense of, am I willing to actually, is what I call open-heartedness, am I willing to feel, am I willing to care, am I willing to recognize the, the being of the other? Mm. And I think that, now you could say that's being vulnerable, yeah, but I don't want to look at the, uh, yeah, you do need to make a risk assessment. There are risky moments. There are times when you go, this is too dangerous. Hmm. Uh, be careful. Watch out. Uh, in the intimate space that I've been working on, and notice the subtitle of the book is in relationships that matter. Hmm. There's less likelihood of encountering real evil. Hmm. But in regular life, we need to be, don't be stupid. Mm -hmm. okay thank you peter and uh, with that we conclude episode 14 of the outwork podcast listening for candor building trust in relationships that matter go get the book if you haven't um what a gem thank you thank you peter for joining us and sharing your insights and thank you all for listening i am sakib rasul and this has been the outwork podcast Thank you. Thank you.